creativity is in everything. It's not just in art. But what art does is manifest and make visible creativity daily. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Cindy Burnett. And my name is Dr. Matthew Wurwood. This is the Fueling Creativity and Education podcast. On this show, we'll be talking about creativity topics and how they apply to the field of education. We'll be speaking with scholars, educators, and resident experts about their work, challenges they face, and digging deeper into new and varying perspectives of creativity. All with the goal to help fuel a more rich and informed discussion that provides teachers and parents with knowledge they can use at home or in the classroom. So let's begin. Welcome back. It is season six, and we have a very special guest with us today, Dr. Penny Hay. Dr. Penny Hay is an artist, educator, and researcher, reader in creative teaching and learning, senior lecturer in arts education, School of Education, research fellow at the Center for Cultural and Creative Industries, Bath Spa University, and director of research at the House of Imagination. Her signature projects include School Without Walls and Forest of Imagination, which we will hear about today. Penny's doctoral research focused on children's learning identity as artists. Welcome to the show, Penny. Hello. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. We are so excited to kick off season six and talking to you about your creative journey. So why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Well, going back to my kind of mission that everyone is an artist. Um, I trained initially in fine art and education. Uh, in my own education, I was literally saved by my art teacher. He drew me in to learning uh, on a metaphorical thread and re-engaged me in my learning through the arts. So that was also my life's mission. So I trained in fine art at what used to be Bath Art Academy and then merged with Bath College of Higher Education, which is now Bath Spa University, where I now teach. So I'm an alum, uh, if that's the right phrase. So I specialised in the children that were maybe more invisible, that were disaffected or reluctant to come to school. And I re-engaged them in their learning through the arts. So although I'm a visual artist and musician, I then became immersed in all of the arts all of the time for all children and young people. So over several years, um, initially in the southwest um, of England, and then um, I moved to Glasgow in 1990, and then back to London in 92, where I was for eight years, I then had this kind of USP, if you like, this um, my absolute passion and motivation was to engage all children, no matter what their background or circumstance, in beautiful learning in and through the arts, but also across the curriculum. In the Southwest, I would work with um, primary and special schools to turn them into art schools. You know, every school should be an art school. And then in Glasgow, I co- curated an exhibition for children and young people across the city with the wonderful Ken Baines and Christopher Hotska. And then when I was in London, it was a moment of synchronicity by chance. I'd finished my master's in art education. I mean, that's an interesting point anyway, because I was going to do a master's in drawing, which is my specialism. But 
my tutor, who's still my mentor at the art college, said, no, no, we need people like you in education. <laughs> Do a master's in education. So my master's in art education, I'd just finished. And I was, I'd just been working in a school in the Southwest. And I was fully immersed in creative learning all week with all of the children, 400 children. And it was a Friday afternoon. It was about 4.30 in the afternoon. And the phone rang. In those days, it was, you know, plugged into the wall and the head teacher answered it and it was the institute of education in london saying do you know anybody who's a specialist in children and art education and the head teacher said yes she's sitting on my sofa having a cup of tea so i then uh went to london for an interview at the institute of education got the job and quite a rigorous interview and then i was there for a few years before i moved to goldsmiths so i was at goldsmiths for nearly seven years uh, which was absolutely joyous i loved working at goldsmiths um and with that kind of hat on not only teaching uh initial teacher education and the arts we set up an ma in arts education in fact now there's a center for arts learning that i'm part of and associate of but the last two years i was in london i worked at tate modern on the learning policy with the wonderful toby jackson who was head of education interpretation so i moved back to bath in 2000 to have my daughter um, and then i worked part-time for several years before i got the job at Bar University. So in those few years, as she was growing up, I wanted to bring my skills together as an artist, as an educator, as a mentor, researcher. So I took a risk and picked up the phone and rang up the director of education and said, um, I've got an idea for a project uh, called Five by Five, or actually at the time it was Three by Three, three schools and three galleries and three artists working together to really think about the cultural creative education landscape what do you think anyway long story short so five by five became uh, a long-standing charity that we've just changed our name to house of imagination in memory of sir ken robinson who was our patron for 20 years and i worked with ken all the way through the 90s in london and we worked together on the all our futures report um, which i think kate his daughter, who's now our patron, I've known for a long time, is really living out Ken's legacy and the wonderful book, Imagine If, so Kate finished Ken's manifesto. So I think that brings me to the current day. I got the job at Tabas Bar in 2007, and it's a wonderful university to work at because it really does value the arts. It really does value creativity. We make creativity visible together. Uh, we're very committed to the kind of human-centric idea of creativity, creativity in everything, but also in the spirit of uh, the more than human world, you know, really celebrating the relationship between nature, creativity and imagination. And that's where our signature project, Forest of Imagination, was born. So I'll tell you about that in a minute. So you just mentioned about art and you mentioned about creativity. And I noticed that you just came out with a book around teaching art creatively. So can you tell us how you see the difference between art and creativity? And can you tell us about how you teach art creatively? Yes, I'll tell you about uh, two books. I'll tell you about this one first. So this first one is called Teaching Art Creatively. This is written for all primary teachers in the world. And so it's about how to invite a really creative uh, approach to teaching art because creativity is in everything. 
It's not just in art, but what art does is manifest and make visible creativity daily. So it's a lovely approach to inviting a possibility and a really uh, creative approach to teaching art and design in the primary curriculum. Um, and I work alongside intending teachers, uh, teachers that are training at our university in initial teacher education. We have a postgraduate certificate for education and I run the art specialism. Um, so that's all of the arts again, all of the time, but those students that choose to uh, take that creative pathway. We work together over the year. And that's one of my favourite courses to teach. But I'm also committed to the idea of making creativity visible in everything. You know, even though I'm an artist, I do believe that everybody is an artist. So I may as well mention my next book, which is about to come out, um, which is also with Routledge. And it, it's the version of, uh, it's the PhD monograph that um, I'll have to read the title because it's too long. So it's called Children our artists, the role of adults in supporting children's learning identity as artists. So in this context, I worked with the same group of children for five years and I documented all of their learning and then distilled a repertoire of creative pedagogical approaches to really think about the role of the adults, whether that's an educator, a teacher, a parent, a, a carer, a mentor, an artist, a cultural professional alongside the child you know, what are the best ways to create that um, learning environment for thinking about everybody being an artist? Can you summarise a little bit about what you found from that work? I think the most important thing was I used the framing of our charity's research. So with our charity, we focused very early on on four key strands and I kept those in my mind when I was working alongside the children and the artists and the educators over these five years. So in terms of, you know, the creative values that you are then instilling in the learning environment, thinking about, well, the learning environment itself being creative, really paying attention to the creative dispositions of children so that you're inviting that inquiry-based learning and then thinking about the creative relationships, what it is for an adult to be alongside a child. So I think the findings kind of indicate really the importance of the adult as a companion in learning, the spaces of possibility that you're inviting, the opportunity for children to follow their fascinations, which is actually the strapline of our charity now. And really thinking about, you know, importantly, the values underpin everything. So, you know, making sure that the environment is positive and caring. The role of the adult is compassionate and listening. Uh, we're very inspired in our work by the practice in Reggio Emilia in Italy and really thinking about not only the environment as the third teacher, but also thinking about that pedagogy of listening so paying attention, quality attention to the time you give, the space you provide, and that idea of, you know, thinking about how you don't prescribe activity, you invite it. So I was focusing much more on pertagogy, so self-directed inquiry and self-determined learning, rather than prescriptive learning. And in all of teaching, I would always use that mantra possibilities, not prescriptions. 
And I think that, you know, what I'm trying to invite is that idea of reimagining learning so that we're moving in these spaces of possibility. I've just written an article about spaces of possibility, so I can share that with you. But also that learning isn't packaged and delivered, and it's based on the children's interests and inquiries, their curiosities, you know, what really interests them. So what I observed working with the same group of children, which was a total privilege, was that they were so interested in so many different things, but they also learned from each other. And I wasn't there as the expert in the room. I was there as a companion in their learning. So that's a quick summary, Matt. But um, at the end of, I hid an exhibition in the middle of my thesis, uh, which will be in the book, some of it. Um, I will have an exhibition in the future, I hope. And then I ended the thesis with a manifesto, which is the summary that you would like to have, I'm sure. Thank you for that. And most important takeaways that I got from that was the idea of reflecting on what values do you want to install into your classroom environment? One of the the shared values I think that that I could relate to that you shared was this idea of learning being a shared experience. When I'm designing my learning experiences and my curriculum, I'm always trying to identify opportunities for discussion and dialogue and being open-minded. And to your point, I love the, the, the wording of companion. I think the companion piece I like a little bit more because at least in, in my environment, I feel that I can learn as much from the students as they can learn from me. You know, when we take a topic such as what is originality in an age of AI, which I'm planning on exploring in the spring, I don't know the answer to that question. But I value the shared learning experience that I can facilitate between myself and the students, but also the students themselves as well. And so that's me connecting my my value being able to articulate it and make sure I plan around it. Well, I think when we're talking about a creative learning environment, so many things that you mentioned really echo some of the things that we've heard in the past, like really listening and caring and giving students that opportunity. I love this follow your fascination, which I think is just a wonderful phrase to use with your students to follow their fascinations. But the thing that really struck me was possibilities, not prescriptions that you mentioned, Penny, because I think so often, and I know as someone who works with a lot of educators myself and talking to them about, you know, here's how you bring creative thinking. Here are some ideas that might spark ideas for you. And they say, can you give me a script? And it's not about a script. It's about what you said. It's about listening to what your students need and to be their companion and to go on this journey with them to uncover whatever it is they're, that they're meant to learn and really to, to be their companion. In the Researching Children Researching the World book and that commitment to being alongside, the very first paragraph I open with where I'm talking about our philosophical framework is just a couple of sentences that sum this up really and I say imagine a world where our children are engaged in serious creative play where their environments are full of space and light where adults are companions in the children's inquiries about the world creative adults who show a deep respect for children's ideas theories and fascinations and in fact that thread that kind of philosophical thread is 
has been woven all the way through my work um, alongside um, educators and artists and cultural professionals, students, children, young people. And in fact, our two signature projects, um, one of them is School Without Walls, which is now in its 12th year, and the other, Forest of Imagination, they are kind of manifestations of that possibility of working with a creative learning invitation rather than a prescriptive curriculum. So although in the book Teaching Art Creatively, I do, you know, obviously I do address the fact that in England particularly, we have a national curriculum. However, I'm talking about having a structure, but moving in the spaces in between to go beyond, and that these inquiries come out of children's interests and fascinations. So our project School Without Walls is co-designed with educators and artists alongside children and young people, and together we co-design the curriculum based on their interests. We still have coverage, in inverted commas, of the curriculum, that is required, but it's all based on inquiry-based learning and it's all about their agency and that sense of that dynamic relationship in intergenerational learning. Um, I've just written the impact case study for our research excellence framework uh, and that's been published so I can share that with you as well. Um, But that was also really thinking about the relationship of how do we invite, how do we reimagine education so that we get away from prescription and, and package and we start thinking about not a silo-based approach, but thinking about an inquiry-based approach around real-life learning that embeds all of the creative and social, cultural, intellectual values that we want to shine a light on, but also thinks about you know how, well, I think now especially in response to the war, the ecological emergency and the pandemic, you know, we are absolutely at the right time to reimagine education. It's never been more urgent, and especially with the arts, and especially embedding creativity in everything, in the way that we learn, and not just as children and people, but the way that we learn all the way through our lives. And you keep using the word beautiful. And I go back to one of our first ever interviews on the podcast where Ron Baghetta was talking about this concept of beautiful creativity. In you know, to summarize that podcast interview, it really was about helping the students identify something that has value to them, but also an outcome that can have an impact beyond the, the four walls of the classroom as well. And I think that that type of learning is beautiful. It is special. It, it's so meaningful to not just the child, but also their relationship with the world. And I want to come back to the art piece because when you talk about prescription, I'm typically making the connection with industry saying we need students skilled in these things and therefore schools will go away or the system will go away and develop a curriculum to deliver students skilled in those things. And and to me, that was kind of some my takeaway with the prescription piece, right? We need these skills to heal this, this vacancy that we currently have. How does your work in the arts accommodate the need or at least this pressure that we have from industry while also still remaining to the values that you've been talking about in this podcast interview? This is a quote from a seven-year-old that is in my book. And we were talking with the children about what it is to be an artist. And 
Where are there artists in the world? What is art in the world? Who's an artist? Um, who chooses to make it a career? What other, what other creative jobs are there in the world? Are all jobs creative? What about the creative industries? You know, we, and we, we had a fantastic conversation. And this particular seven-year-old just kind of bounced up and down, you know, when children are kind of really excited. And she said, I know. I've got five things about being an artist and I've got it in front of me. So she says, five things about being an artist. One, have a great imagination, then you'll have great ideas. Two, be positive and don't worry if you make mistakes. Three, be good at playing. Four, be thoughtful. Five, art is about everything. And I was like, art? My eyes and my mouth were wide open and I went, please, can you write that down? Please, can you? And so she did. And that's my gift. And that's in uh, the front of my PhD. But um, I think importantly, you know, this is an approach to learning. So we've just made a film for the Forest of Imagination. So coming back to the egg again, the egg is a brilliant, brilliant organisation. And um, we've worked together in partnership for a long time and the director Kate Cross is you know one of my best friends and we have the best arguments about uh, children's learning oh, for the right reasons you know because we really believe that everyone's an artist and that underpins our creative methodology and our um, commitment to artistic excellence so we've worked together right from the beginning of um, the theatre's birth if you like um, and now together we're also partnering with our other signature project which is called Forest of Imagination. And that um, is now in its 10th year. In fact, it's our 10th birthday this year. And that's co-designed with the creative genius, Andrew Grant, who designed super trees in Singapore. So he's incredible. And he's a landscape architect based in Bath, um, well, and now across the world. But uh, if you know Garden by the Bay in Singapore, we were in discussion about his phrase, let's just put creativity on the pavement. And I said, well, yes, let's call it the forest of imagination. So really thinking about inviting the whole community, schools, the college, both universities, really thinking about working alongside local and international artists and creative professionals in the city and having a conversation, not only about our collective imagination, but also the importance of nature in our lives. And I think especially now, in the face of the biodiversity and ecological emergency, it's even more important that we start with a kind of climate education, sustainability embedded in education. So, yeah, 10 years on, um, each year we reimagine a different space in the city together with the children and people, the artists and designers as co-creators, designers, co-creators, co-designers, co-producers, all the co-words. And then we reimagine a familiar space and bring in a fantastical, intuitive kind of invitation to play. So if you have a chance to watch the film, which is on our website, that was this year's event, which was at the Egg Theatre, and it came out of a conversation. In fact, it was during COVID. Kate rang me up and said, help, Penny, I've got an empty theatre. What should we do? And I went, easy, Kate, put a forest inside. So we literally borrowed a forest and we brought it into the egg. We co-designed it with the wonderful artist and filmmaker Andrew Amundsen in Berlin. 
and we talk about learning like a forest, learning like a meadow. Um, and so have, have a look at that film because it's really, and, and in that film, Matt, you can tease me because I do use that phrase, beautiful. And I often talk to my students about what is beautiful learning? What is really aesthetic learning? Every classroom should be a work of art. How can we invite children to follow their fascinations? How can we bring in a multi-sensory space that is emotionally moving? And, you know, I'm not only am I a big fan of Joseph Boyce, but I'm also that mantra that Bob and Roberta Smith uses, you know, every school should be an art school. And that's always been my life's work, really. And, and I think, you know, just if you just unpick at least some of the words that I would connect with with the arts, I mean, you've referenced the word visual, but it's sometimes the arts isn't just visual, but visual is one modality of expression. And it's about making connections with feelings and asking questions. And when you start to list the words that you associate with the arts, I hope that those words are things that we should and can associate with a classroom environment as well. So I, I actually, you know, we did this this uh, podcast where we was thinking about teachers as designers. But I think we kind of looked at it more along the lines of designing to solve problems and, and develop solutions. But there's also the idea of, I think, teachers as artists, where it is about creating an environment of just expression and love and, and individual identity, but individual identity that is shared and cherished by everyone that participates and engages in the learning experience in that environment. Mm, I agree. And I think that the idea of, you know, art is in everything, creativity is in everything. Um, there's a wonderful radio series on at the moment with Margaret Heffernan, who's a um, a dear friend and who we've met through the forest and she opened the forest imagination last year and actually made everybody cry in the right way in that she was talking about climate change and children. Um, in fact, everybody cried. It was very emotional. So yes, actually during lockdown, we had an amazing conversation with the senior fire starter for the BBC R&D Research and Development Unit about the imagination. And because we were all in our rooms, we were in our studies, we weren't, we could only go for, you know, a certain amount of time outside, et cetera, et cetera. One of the brilliant things um, that came out of COVID and being in lockdown was that we literally fell down a metaphorical rabbit hole where we were inviting young people to co-design adaptive podcasts based on listening to the natural world. So now we're working with a whole host of creative tech wizards and artists in multidisciplinary contexts. And this is amazing because it's it's come out of that moment of how do we frame our learning with these kind of philosophical values that invites inquiry and makes it purposeful. Thank you so much, Penny. Well, we could talk to you all day about all the amazing work you're doing, but unfortunately, we have to wrap up. So we end every episode with three tips that you would give to educators to help them bring creativity into their classrooms. As I said earlier, I think, you know, framing learning around the time and space and the attention that you invite children to explore their creativity and their imagination through 
beautiful learning. I think it's my three tips, if that's the, the kind of the best phrase, would be to invite possibility and openness, to create an ethos that makes creativity visible, and to go with the flow so that you're genuinely following children's fascinations. Well, Penny, thank you so much for uh, joining us in our first episode of season six of the Fueling Creativity in Education podcast. Now, if you really enjoyed this episode, like always, Cindy will be posting a link to this episode on her LinkedIn page and myself and Penny will be participating in that conversation. And Penny will be sharing some of the links to the projects, the various projects that she's referenced during the show. My name is Dr. Matthew Woward. And my name is Dr. Cindy Burnett. This episode was produced by Creativity and Education in partnership with WarwoodClassroom.com. Our editor is Sina Yousafzadeh.